This morning I want to start, I kind of prefaced it at the beginning of the month. Uh, it's a crazy month, Father's Day and everything else, the ordination. And so um, kind of jumping around a little bit. But if there is a topic probably in me that I talk about with other pastors more than anything, it's the series I want to talk about. Uh, just this week I was in, in Omaha with some pastors and, and I was sharing with them some of my heart on an idea that, that I believe that as a church, as a body, we need to do better. Some of the areas that I think that sometimes we just, we just overlook and, and we don't see. You know, as we were driving, I got to drive uh, to Omaha on Monday, and I was driving with Leroy, Pastor Leroy, who was here. Him and I talk all the time, so it wasn't hard for us to talk all the way there and back. Anyway, so we talked about a multitude of things. It wasn't just one topic on there and one topic on the way back. In the course of the conversation, I don't even remember what precluded it, Leroy said to me, you know, Steve, do you think... That if Jesus, now this is a supposition, obviously we hope that Jesus has been in our church. If Jesus walked into our churches, he would know how to act. And I said, well, let's not talk about Jesus because I like to believe Jesus has walked into my church. So I said, how about we use Paul instead? Like if Paul came into our church, we talked about this letter to the church in Corinth, right? And even the event of the Lord's Supper. It's a perfect example of this. What we accomplish here is a shadow <laughs> of what was being accomplished in the church in Corinth when they came to the Lord's Supper. Uh, when, when it comes to the table, it's, it's hard for us to figure out how people were getting drunk or, or excluding people when it comes to little crackers and these tiny clear cups of juice. Like, and the concept of it or the constructs of it, they, they just seem a little bit different than they were when it started. And how much of it have we changed from what it was? And I'm not saying change is the bad thing because change is good. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. And I'm not going to rally against like the church. I love the church and I love what the church is. I love what we do. I love what we get to accomplish when we come together. But a question that I've been wrestling with, a question that I think God is revealing to me is, is sometimes we might be missing the fullness of what can be accomplished in here. The fullness of what can be accomplished, not just in a year, but in us. Because we're looking at it through maybe a lens that is skewed. Last week, was Father's Day. And, and recall, uh, for a gift on Father's Day, I gave everyone one of these, or if you wanted it, it was a speed square or a framing square or a level. Now, this is candid Pastor Steve. I didn't realize there was a bunch of numbers and a bunch of measurements and a bunch of things on a speed square. Because you know what Pastor Steve uses a speed square for? To cut a two-by-four. Draws a nice, pretty line that I can follow. That's why I use a speed square. You put a speed square in my hand, and guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to cut a two-by-four because I can draw a straight line. I got to looking at this thing, and it had like hieroglyphics on it and stuff. I mean, you would think I would like it because I'm a math guy, but it's got degrees, and it's got hips and values, and, and it's telling me. I mean, there's so much more to this tool than cutting a two-by-four. I didn't get to pick on Mike last week, so I'll say it today. You put a speed square in my hand, and I'm going to cut a two-by-four. You put a speed square in Mike's hand, and he's going to build you a house. Do you know what I mean? Like the difference in, in a tool, the difference in, in what we have, and maybe our understanding of the tool and how we use it. There's so much more to the body of Christ. There's so much more to who we are that at times I think we're so stuck with the simplicity of cutting a two-by-four, we're limiting what God has for us. This is at the end of my notes. I'm going to say it now. 
I believe as we go through this series, if we can fully engage in the tools that God has given us, there'll be something incredible that happens in the kingdom of God that we haven't experienced before because we're using the tools. We're using what God has, has given us. We're using them in a way in which God designed them. Who here, now I was in Boy Scouts when I was a kid, and do you know what we did at Boy Scouts? We compared our Swiss Army knives. You ever see them Swiss Army knives that were like, they had like 72 blades on them. Like they still wouldn't even fit in Mike's wit's hands right now. His giant paws, if you've ever shaken his hand, your hand disappears in his. You know what I'm talking about? Um, it wouldn't fit in his hand. When I was a kid, everybody wanted that stupid Swiss Army knife. I didn't know what it was for. The only thing Boy Scouts used Swiss Army knives for was to poke things and prod things. That's all we used them for. Didn't matter if it had a fork and a knife and whatever else on there. Like it was a tool that, that I thought I had to have even though it wouldn't fit in my pockets. And I had to have like a chain around my neck to carry it. But I wanted the tool. Talking about tools, man. Everybody but Casey can engage in this one. Most of our cell phones do a lot more than make a phone call or send a text message. Casey, just ignore us right now. Don't even try. Casey's still got his flip phone. He'll call you up. The tool. Yesterday uh, was a wedding. Mike and Mandy got married here yesterday, and Moni was taking pictures. And, and again, if you know Moni, you've been anywhere, she's got a camera around her neck. I was amazed to see Moni, I think I have a picture of it on my phone, at a wedding taking pictures with a cell phone. She had her camera too, but she was taking pictures with her cell phone because the camera on the cell phone has become good. And she said, these aren't the pic- these are the social media pictures, and then I'll have good pictures for you for beyond that. But, but if Moni Hurt can use a cell phone to take pictures for a wedding, I mean, we don't even recognize the amount of information that's right at our fingertips. The, the, there's a level and a, and, and a tape measure on my iPhone. Did you know that? In there, you can hang a picture with your iPhone. You can take a picture from here to here. It tells you the distance between that. I mean, all these tools, they're right at our fingertips. But the reality is, so many of them, we've never even discovered. We've never even looked for them. We've never realized them. I'll just keep cutting two-by-fours. You know what I mean? I don't even know why I'm cutting them now, but I just like to cut straight lines. There's something fulfilling in cutting that line right down the middle. Mike's mod, at least. So over the next few weeks, I want to look at a tool that I believe God has given us. A tool that I believe that he wants us to learn. You see, remember last week we were talking about Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Uh, I, I might have put it back in here. I don't know if I did or not. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. You know, when we want to learn something, it's best to follow someone who knows how to use it. What happens, men, when you're trying to fix something but you don't know what you're doing. What do you do? Most of us, if we don't have a flip phone, we pull out our phone and we go to YouTube and we look for someone who's going to teach us how to do it, right? I mean, is that just me? I mean, that's kind of the way I do it. Like, if I, there's something I'm trying to do that maybe I should know how to do, but I'm too embarrassed to tell someone else I don't know how to do it right now, and so I can feel smarter if I just look it up, I go to YouTube and I look it up and I follow the example that someone else has done to accomplish the task that I'm trying to accomplish. So if we're going to follow someone, Paul didn't just say, follow me, right? His words to the, to the church in Corinth weren't just follow me, but he said, follow my example as I do what? Follow the example of Christ. 
So to, to discover the tool that I'm sure you've already figured out that I want to talk about today, I want to look at the example of Christ. Jesus said, follow me. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting net into the sea, for they were fishermen. He said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, he said to him. The next day, um, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Jesus' model of discipleship was for someone to, to follow him. Why did the disciples follow Jesus? To learn from him, right? He asked them to follow him, so they followed him and did what? They learned, they learned from him. Fortunately, we have the writings, we have the stories, some of them. Obviously, we don't have the full accounts, but we have the stories of what was accomplished in that season. So, coming to today. If I want to be as effective as I possibly can in the kingdom of God, where should I look? If I want to be an effective minister of the good news, whose life should I look at? Jesus Christ would be a good place to start, right? He was pretty good at what he did. I think he accomplished the task that was set before him, and I think he did it with some efficiency and effectiveness. Fair enough? I think he's going to hear, good job, well done, my good and faithful servant. I mean, I, I think those are the words that, I mean, I mean, he didn't hear him, but you know what I mean? Like, he did it. And so if we're trying to figure out, when I talk about this structure we call church, when I talk about this thing that we call the body of Christ, we need to follow Jesus so we can learn how to be more effective. And what happens when I follow someone? Walt was just telling me a story this morning of, of Trevor when he was in lineman school, and there was a way that Trevor had learned to do it, and his professor was telling him it was a different way. Right? Because those we follow, that's what we do. When I follow someone, that's how I learned to work cattle, was by following Greg. Like, I don't even know that I'm the best at it, but I just followed him, and I didn't do anything until I saw them doing it. And if I saw him scream, I screamed. If I saw him back up, I backed up. I mean, that's just what I did. Like, you just follow someone, you see what they're doing, and you start to emulate them and how you live. That's a good way of learning. That's a good practice for our lives sometimes. Guess what? That was what was the message last week. People are following you. And they're emulating Christ the way you're emulating Christ. That's the ouch moment from last week. I won't go back there because maybe some people are still wounded. So for us today, I want to look at the life of Christ because there's a tool in his life. We're specifically going to look at the gospel of Luke that comes up time and time again in the ministry of Jesus Christ. There's a tool that he uses that, that time and time again will see him him, him using this for effective ministry. In Luke chapter 5, I didn't want that in there, but it's in there now. It says in verse 27, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. We just read this. Follow me, Jesus said to him. Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a what? A great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees, the teacher of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Later on, Jesus is invited to the house of a Pharisee. Actually, it happens three times in the book of Luke. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a simple life learned that Jesus was eating at a Pharisee's house. So she came there and with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped 
them with her hair. She kissed them and poured perfume on them. You see, the tendency in Jesus' ministry, for some reason, for some peculiar thing, the table or feasts were focal. They were events in which Jesus ministered through. We talked about in the beginning of this month, I'm sure everybody has it in your notes, you remember it completely, in the Old Testament, when we were talking about the fulfillment in the Lord's Supper, that, that in the Old Testament, the table was normative for worship. It was the place in the Old Testament where God met man. Well, that doesn't change too much in Jesus' ministry. He goes and feeds 5,000. Remember, he's on the, on the mountain preaching, and they're hungry, and he says there's some fish and there's some loaves, and he multiplies them and does the miraculous. He eats at the house of, of Mary and Martha. His parable, one of his teachings, is a, is, a, is a parable of the great banquet. He becomes the guest of Zacchaeus when Zacchaeus is climbing that tree. These are all stories that we know. They're all stories that we've heard, but maybe we didn't realize. Now, this is where we're going to like this. So most of us in this room like to eat. Huh? I enjoy it. Today, I'm going to tell you that we need to use Eating for a kingdom purpose. I mean, it's cool. Like God can use the simplest of things to do incredible things in our life around us. He can use the simplest of models to do remarkable things in the world around us. Remember the the Last Supper? I mean, one of the most profound moments in Jesus' ministry where he's revealing the fullness of what was and and the accomplishment of his disciples. This is the last moment he has with his disciples before he's going to the cross. And what does he choose to do with them? Sit down and have a Bible study, right? Well, kind of. But he says, let's have dinner together. As they come to the table, he reveals the fullness of God's plan. This continues in the book of Luke. I mean, it's from the beginning to the end of this book. The road to Emmaus, there's disciples after the crucifixion of Christ. They, they see the resurrected Christ and they're walking away from town. And, and as they're talking, they didn't realize it was the resurrected Christ. They're talking with him. They say, we had hope. They're discouraged and despondent. And Jesus begins to, it says in Scripture, unpack all the truths of what was and what is. And then what does he do? They say, hey, why don't you come to our house And when they came to their house, he was at the table with them. He took bread and gave thanks. He broke it and began to give it to them. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures scriptures to us? I find it compelling in this story on the premise that I'm saying that the table is a tool of revealing the, the promise and the power of God, that the disciples' eyes were not opened when Jesus was teaching them, just from the word. Do you see that in that story? They walked with Jesus. They said, weren't our hearts, weren't our hearts burning within us when he talked about the Old Testament? He talked about what was, and he talked about what is, and he talked about the fulfillment. But when were their eyes opened? Their eyes were open when they were sitting at a table, when Jesus was at the table with them, and he began to break bread and offer, uh, and, and, and offer a meal with them. Their eyes were opened at the table. I am convinced. I'm convinced the table is one of the most underutilized tools in the kingdom of God. I'm convinced 
And I'm not just talking about the tables at the church, because we still have pretty tables that we use in churches, but I'm talking about our tables. I'm talking about your table. You see, uh, in my mind, and this is one of those things that, that, that you just have to get in my mind and you don't want to to see, but I really feel like often we limit God by what happens in the church. Pastor, that doesn't sound right. I think oftentimes the church becomes a funnel that we have this perception that everything that God does is going to happen through that funnel. You see a church that's got a little pretty steep on top. If I could be a really good graphic artist, I would, I would say you flip that upside down, everything comes in and pours out in this one moment. But I really believe that the church is designed the way God designed it, and this is the point where it starts and it goes out from here. Like everything that God does is not supposed to be accomplished in this, in this room, in this one hour or two hours of the week. But what God has for his kingdom, it, it's supposed to be accomplished day by day, moment by moment, and maybe even more effectively when we're using the tools that God has given us. You know, at times we're just cutting two by fours and he wants us to build a house. At times we're just drawing perpendicular lines because it's fun. And he's saying, no, I've got a, I've got a design, I've got a purpose for you. And part of that purpose is your table. I don't know that we recognize the effectiveness of the tool. Why? Because what happened at the table in the ministry of Christ, the table became a place of discipleship, Right? The table became a place of, uh, of repentance. It became a place of presence. It became a place of provision. It became a place of revelation. It became a place of promise. As we look at the ministry of Jesus Christ, we see that there's profound things that happen at the table. But we use ours to eat, right? Some of us, it's just a catch-all for the mail that we don't want to go through for the stuff that is. Do you know what I'm saying? Like the last time we used our table for anything, it, 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 was, it was to stack up stuff on and move it aside. Or, or, you know, even today, it's interesting, a lot of places, we don't even have tables anymore. Like, we don't even make time for tables. Now, Luke and Savannah, on the other hand, they got this massive table. Have you ever been to Luke's house? I mean, he's got a table. I was in a, in a hotel in Omaha. There was a lot of people there because of the College World Series, and so we were in this manor was the name. It was a house, and, it, it was a, and they had rooms in the house that we rented out, and there was this giant wood table, you know, the dark wood, and, and like 12 chairs around it. I mean, that was a table. And what was that table for? That table wasn't just for. Now, when I was a kid, Mom's going to listen to this, and she's going to yell at me. We had a table in the kitchen, and we had a table in the dining room. And we never ate at the table in the dining room because that was just the formal table. We always ate at the table in the kitchen. You know what I'm talking about? Like, man, I don't think that's the design that God has. Like our table, that, that, that best table that he has, he's got chairs at it because he wants people to be there. He wants people to spend time with us because organically, it's just easy at a table when we're breaking bread together for us to have relationship. There are some studies just on the table. So this is just about the table in general. These are, these are studies in the world. Um, one study said, as of September of 2022, 91% of parents surveyed, and I've got the information if you want to look at the survey. I don't have it noted up there, but I can give it to you later. 91% of, of parents sorry, surveyed noticed their family was less stressed when they shared family meals together. 
They didn't give you the lie. They just said that's what they noticed. That was the trends that they saw. Listen to this. 84% of adults wish they could share a meal with loved ones more often. Nearly 7 in 10 of survey respondents who were employed full or part-time said they would feel less stressed at work if they had more time to take a break and share a meal with a coworker. There's something about the, the table that, that produces incredible fruit. Um, 25 years of scientific studies revealed that regular family meal times are beneficial to the physical health, academic success, and mental health of children. In my last statistic that says there was a stack of studies that link regular family dinners with lowering a host of high-risk teenage behaviors parents fear. Smoking, binge drinking, marijuana use, violence, school problems, eating disorders, and sexual activity. It says that, that that's what the world is saying is accomplished at the table. So I look at what Jesus did, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Jesus was strategic about breaking bread with people. He was strategic about breaking bread with sinners. He was strategic about breaking bread with his disciples. He was strategic about breaking bread with the masses. The world has said there's something powerful that happens when people prioritize the table just in your family structure. There's nothing spiritual about those survey figures I've given you, except I believe there's truth that there's something profound that happens through the table. If we don't recognize how powerful the tool is, we'll never use it. Casey's always going to use a flip phone. You know what I mean? If we don't recognize how powerful the tool is, we're never going to embrace it. I believe that we have not recognized how powerful the tool of our table is. You see, because really in some ways, the church, now we do a good job once a month having a meal together and sitting at a table, but in a lot of ways, the church, we don't have room for tables. Why? Because tables aren't corporate things, but they're personal things. The table in the Old Testament was an altar. I believe the table in the New Testament is an altar. And I'm not just talking about the one at the front of church. I'm talking about that place in your home that someone needs to come so they can experience the presence and power of God. I'm talking about that place in your home where you have an opportunity to talk to someone about life, to break bread with them, to be with them, to listen to them, to focus upon them, to serve them, to love them, and and to experience with them the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe that the table are abandoned altars in our homes that we're not intentional about the presence and power of God that he has for us. I mean, I'll preach that. If you don't want to hear about tables, don't come back because I really am compelled by this because in my mind, in my heart, I truly believe that God wants your table to be full. Someone would say, Pastor, well, it's not just about a table. No, it's not. So, so I'll say this. God wants your campfires to be full. God wants your picnic tables to be full. God wants you to be intentional about the opportunity to break bread with someone, to share life with someone so you can reveal the truth of God. Maybe there's someone in your life who needs to experience repentance. Maybe there's someone in your life who needs to experience freedom. Maybe there's someone in your life who needs to be discipled. Maybe there's someone in your life who needs to know the promises of God. Think about the revelation that came to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Can you imagine? This is where pastor gets excited. Can you imagine when the story is 
I had my friend over to my house. We've been talking a lot. We've been talking on the phone. We've been talking about God. We've been having these conversations, but it just never went in there. I had him to my house. And when we broke bread together, his eyes were opened. And he said, wasn't my my heart burning within me? All those moments that you shared up until the table, all those points you've made up until this moment, you're with them. All those times you've spent sharing the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he comes to your table and, and experiences the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some pastors cringe when I say this. I like to say it because I like to make people cringe. Sometimes people think I do it on purpose, and yeah, I do at times. My heart, my prayer, is there's more people saved at your table than there is at this altar. Do you understand what I'm saying there? I'm not minimizing this. I'm not saying this is not important. I'm not saying that I don't want to see people saved and delivered in our church services. But what I'm saying is sometimes this becomes a limiter to what God wants to do. And maybe there's someone that will come to your table that will never come in this door. Maybe there's someone that will come have a meal with you but will never listen to a crazy pastor who sweats a lot, preach to them on a Sunday morning. Don't say amen too loud to that one, Mike. And maybe in some ways, the fullness of what God has, like that tool that he's given us that we've just been using for a straight line, man, there's something so much greater. I come here and I experience the presence of God. And I'm empowered to go. I'm empowered to lead. I'm empowered to to reach out. I'm empowered to tell others about what Jesus Christ is accomplishing. I'm empowered to tell them about what's been happening in church and and what's been happening around me. I'm encouraged by by fellow believers in Jesus Christ who will look at me on a Sunday and say, hey, how are you doing? I'm encouraged that, that I know I'm not in this alone, that I know that God is doing things in me, that I get to hear them say what God is doing in their lives, that I get to experience them talking about all that God has been accomplishing. But then I'm empowered to say, I've got an altar. There's a place in my home. There's a place in my life that someone is supposed to meet Jesus Christ. And I pick up that tool that even Casey knows how to use. And I call a friend and I say, hey, I come over for dinner. And because I'm intentional, they come to my house and I break bread with them and I believe revelation comes. Does that mean every time they come to your house they get saved? No, I wish it was that easy. But it means that it's a place that I'm intentional about, that the presence of God is being revealed. I do believe every time they come to your house when you're intentional about your table, they experience the presence of God. Because if His presence is there, they have to experience it. When we're intentional about the tools, who knows what can be accomplished? I've had this picture up here all the time. Some random artist decided they wanted to paint the Lord's Supper without the people in the picture. It's the same picture. This one's a little bit different coloring, but it's the same picture. Someone decided to paint the table without the people. And I believe that God, I mean, the sad part is, I believe many of our tables more reflect this than they do this. I believe that many of our tools look more like this than they do what God intends for us. Let's be intentional about the tools that God has given us. If Jesus found fit, if Jesus saw fit to use the table for discipleship, for revelation, for understanding, for, 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 for repentance, for all these things, maybe I can follow him 
Maybe I can follow the example of Christ. Not just because pastors have to do it, but because that's what God wants me to do. I hope over the next few weeks we can look at this, this tool. We can look at some ideas in this tool and, and even throw out some things. I believe God will speak to you. Come to me when God talks to you about this. Come to me and say, Pastor, that doesn't make any sense. Or come to me and say, Pastor, God was revealing this to me. I believe it needs to be an imperative tool as we move forward as a body of Christ. I preached on the table once before a series, I think it was four or five years ago. And I was compelled then and I'm compelled today. My first paper that I had to write in my research class, I just had to do an outline on it, but it was about the table. As a pastor, I'm convinced we're missing the value of the table. We're missing all that can be accomplished. And I want us to just wrestle together. How can God use this more effectively for his kingdom? You guys can come forward. I'm not exactly sure how to end this because this is more just an introduction. But, but um, I'm going to pray. And as I pray this morning, I'm going to pray for us, but I'm going to pray for our tables. And and I hope that as I'm praying for tables, you can hear this not just as a corporate thing, but as a personal thing to you. That your table, that, that what's in your home, that the places you gather, your fire pit or your picnic table, whatever it might be, your place at the restaurant. I don't, I don't care where the table is, but that, that God can use that for his glory. That you, as a disciple of Christ, that you can learn from the example of Christ. See, the, many of these stories, he was invited to volatile places. Like, Levi said, come over. Pharisees said, come over several times. But Jesus continues to use the opportunity to share the truth. Father, this morning is... As we're in your house, I believe, God, in my heart of hearts that there's tools that we're not using to the fullness. God, even myself, I look at my table and I wonder how many nights it sits empty. There's always stuff. There's always things. There's always reasons. God, for for me, for others, I pray that we can prioritize our tables. That we're not limiting, God, what maybe you've designed. That we're not limiting, God, what, what you've given us. We're not limiting what you can do through us. God, I pray for our tables. I pray, God, that they would be places of presence. God, I pray for our tables. I pray that they would be places of revelation. God, I pray for our tables, that they would be places of hospitality. That our tables would be places of healing. That our tables would be places of repentance. Places of revelation. Places of promise.
tool in the king's hands. Lord, I ask that you would prepare our hearts, that you would prepare our minds, that you would help us as we honestly ask the question, is my table effective in the kingdom of God? Is that tool being used to the fullness of its purpose? before we start making excuses for why it's not help us to ask how can it be to be a good steward of all that you've given. Help me to respond. To be intentional about your desires. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to have him play this song. I'll, I'll, I'll speak a blessing and I encourage you, if you just want to sit here and listen for a little bit, you're welcome to. If you want to visit after I say my blessing, you can visit, but maybe out in the foyer so others, sometimes it's hard to hear when people are talking. But I believe God wants to speak to our hearts about this, and I believe he'll speak something unique to you. The Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you, may he turn his face towards you, and grant you his peace. And may you follow the example of Christ at your table. Amen? Be blessed.